0: Welcome to Flipsteration, a podcast dedicated to the stories of those who strip, sand, finish, and repeat. Whether you're into furniture flipping as a hobby, a side income, or for restoring the purity of a vintage piece, welcome to the Flipsteration Nation. Welcome to the Flips Duration Nation. My name is Tim. I am your host today, along with Brian, our engineer. And today we're joined by Gary LeClaire. He's well known for online for being the founder of Stripwell, especially with their healthy and non-flammable QCS vintage and antique furniture stripper, which Gary, if I'm right, it's quick, clean, safe, correct? Yep. There we go. Uh, but Gary, you're also someone who's been in this industry for a long time, around 30 years. I know that you're, you told me that your dad ended up doing a lot of this as well, so you inherited this from him. I can't wait to hear about that, but i just love to hear a little bit more about you. For our audio listeners, Gary is sitting in front of this awesome bookshelf with lots of Mickey Mouse things and Disney things. So I want to hear the story behind that. But Gary, let us know a little bit about you and uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Um yeah my yeah, the bookshelves
1: <laughs> my uh my wife is a um is an artist um she's uh an illustrator but she you know this is kind of her uh her home space that we work out of our creative space so we uh we like to have kind of that childlike spirit that kind of reminds us that we can't you know we can't take our too seriously um so she collects all these things and she loves all things disney so that is uh, not my collection, but uh, but I'm, I'm kind of proud of it too. You know, it's our thing.
0: Hey there, friends. Just a quick side note from the host over here. Just wanted to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by StripWell, but it's also put on by StripWell. The team that you hear and see right now, if you're watching the video version, is actually all a part of the StripWell team. We wanna bake this podcast for vintage furniture flippers and restorers like you, but we thought we'd start by interviewing our founder, letting you hear a little bit about About his story because he's been a furniture restorer for 30 years in the future we're going to have people on that are guests uh, maybe leaders of other companies maybe influencers people that have a lot of voice in this space so that you can hear from them but we wanted to talk to gary as if he was one of our guests today so just a really important clarification because it might be confusing wait is gary a part of this podcast is he not he is but we're just interviewing him today anyway thank you so much for letting me butt into your podcast listening experience let's continue with the show Yep. I love that. And so, tell yeah. us a little bit more about your family as a whole, if you don't mind.
1: Well, my, my speaking of my wife. Um, so we we are we're married with two kids. Um, our two children happen to be uh, adopted. We've adopted them. They're um, biological siblings, and so we're really, you know, really excited about that uh, to to kind of take that on and and become family for them. And it's been a wild journey to walk through that. Um, and then we have one on the way. We're due April seventeenth is the official due date on that. We'll see if that. If they hit the target on that, or if we're early or late, we'll see. But uh, April seventeenth is the day, so we're prepping for that, getting ready, getting our heads wrapped around. Uh, We we call it this time. We decided to do it the old-fashioned way, so we uh, (laughs) we got the third coming the old-fashioned way. So we'll see. Yeah, so we're
0: excited about that. Well, congratulations to you guys. That's incredible. So April, yeah, springtime coming quick. Yeah, it's kind of quick. <laughs> How are you feeling about that? Because I know that's a that's a big step to take having a third but the first natural born kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's wow. it's
1: exciting. We've, uh, we've been through a lot, you know, just a little backstory, you know, we've, we've, we've lost some along the way, you know, we've had some miscarriages. So there's been there's been a, a tough journey along the way. But we're really excited now that uh, this seems to be really everything is going according to plan. And we're, we're really thrilled about it. We're excited wow. to add to the family and bring in our, our baby girl. So yeah, it's
0: Come It's really again. exciting. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank well, speaking you. of those kids, I know you got to provide for them. And I know that you've mm-hmm. been doing that through furniture, flipping, restoration, and that's been your business for like 30 years. I'd love to hear how you got into this. How did you get into this whole line of work? Cause it's such an interesting one.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it all started. My dad actually began the business. He, he, um, originally was, he's done a lot of things. He's one of these, I call him the Swiss army knife kind of People, He can kind of do anything. He's done just about everything, Um, anything from truck driver to um, construction to he was Smokey the Bear. He's a firefighter. He actually walked around and did Smokey the Bear things at schools and such. Um, But for a while, he was doing aerospace. Uh, So he was an engineer. He would go in and repair, um, you know, jet plane, jet engines and things like that. And uh, he just was away a lot. And he kind of got tired of that grind and decided, you know, I want to do something that kind of keeps me home and up the road from us actually was a gentleman who was, um, was restoring furniture right out of his home. on he had a little workshop in his house. And my dad went and started to just, on the weekends and whenever he could, work with him and learn things along the way. Uh, my family is a long line of carpenters. So, you know, woodworking and all that sort of in the blood. But, um, but he learned, you know, the, the kind of the specifics of restoration from this gentleman. And uh, then ultimately he retired, That uh, his name was Peter, he retired. And my dad uh, was offered to take over. Uh, he offered him his, the phone number and and just sort of to his client list, and he took over. And so then the business sort of transferred down to our home uh, in our basement slash garage, and that's where it began. And that was 1986 officially was when that began. So as you know, a six year old or however old I was at that time, I'd go downstairs. My mom would pack me a, a lunch to go to work, and <laughs> you know I'd go downstairs and uh, just work alongside my dad. He would show me. Out of sand wood you know the correct way and uh just little things like that so I have some some pictures and such of me you know at that around that age wearing a respirator and you know it's pretty funny it's it, it, uh nuclear fallout pictures you know but uh no it was great so I got to work with my dad he was home so much more and he just slowly built a business to where eventually he had uh multiple um people working for him and then down the line, I, I partnered with him officially and then ultimately took over the business. Um, and that was around, oh, I don't know, 2010, I want to say is when I took over. I can't remember exactly, but, uh, and then I ran the business, uh, up until, um, 2021, 22, where I started to sort of phase it
0: out to some level. So, yeah, that's incredible. And so you at six years old, were going down to actually do this business with your dad. Yes. Yeah. It was,
1: it was a lot of fun. He would just take the time and show me it was great quality time. Um, I wish we had more, uh, you know, videos are so common now with cell phones and stuff. It would have been cool to capture more of that, but, uh, but great memories, you know, really cool to spend that time learning those little, those
0: little tips and things along, you know, with my dad while he's working. So it's cool. That's incredible. I know that one of the things that we talk a lot about in the business that we're in uh, is we end up talking a lot about kids partnering with their parents in this. Mm -hmm. Do you think that if you hadn't partnered with your dad as much as a younger child, if you would have been as interested, or do you think that starting that young really got you into this passion? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I,
1: I grew up never thinking I would get into it. Um, I, I, my thought was, you know, flash forward to I'm in high school and I'm thinking, you know, this is just temporary. I started working with my dad again as a, just to get a paycheck, just to do something. And um, I did not think it would stick. I was into music. I was into just, I was a creative person, but I just didn't see the creative nature of um, of restoration. And once I did, once I saw that and I learned that, then I, I was hooked. And so I think that early seed was planted. Um, and I definitely encourage, you know, for anyone who's, who's a flipper or, you know, even a professional, re, you know, restorer, Is involve your kids because you never know. I mean, sometimes they just, they'll just take a liking to it. They'll appreciate what you're doing. They get, they better understand you. Like, you know, me, I understood my dad more just by working with him and seeing him, you know, really pour himself into these things. So it really does a lot of really cool emotional things too within uh, the relationship when
0: you kind of include them. That's awesome. I love that you said that it was a creativity that really brought you back, right? You saw Mm -hmm. the process being done. And especially for those that do it for, financial reasons it's probably the creativity can be sapped out of that what were the creative things that you noticed as you started to flip furniture and you started to lean into that side how did you i don't know awaken that part of you because i think for a lot of us that do this for a job that's easy to lose it's easy to lose that creative side and that that passion and that joy where did you find that was there a specific action
1: yeah well you know it's funny my dad having done uh, having done restoration for all these years, you know, something that was funny is he's colorblind. So he, you know, he struggled seeing color. And for me, I color is something I love. I love to um just add color to things. So when I came into the business, it was more um he needed help with specifically the touch up, which is like where you're painting grain in over repairs and you're doing yeah. this really detailed color matching and, and also with toning furniture. For anyone who who knows what toning is, it's where you're sort of slowly building color. Uh, in the finish. So, you you know, it, it's a really touchy thing. It's not like paint where you just one color. It's, you know, it just is what it is. Toning is a really a slow process of building color and re- enriching it. So you still see the wood, but you kind of enrich in that color. Well, you know, my dad could do it to a point, but as far as color goes, he couldn't see it the way we do. Um, and well, Brian, I think you're colorblind, so you saw it the way he did. So, yep. <laughs> so exactly. maybe you would better understand, but, yes. um, but that's no, exactly. I, I feel like, um, you know, it was, that's where I came in and it was, it was tedious for anyone who's ever tried to learn to do touch up. I mean, it, at first you're just, it's so frustrating because you're trying to get the color right, but you're ma you're matching a natural element. It's not a solid color. It's, it's this moving natural element of wood and you have to, you know, really take time to, to learn, to sort of almost be imperfect on purpose is when you're trying to be too perfect, it's, it doesn't match the natural aspect of the wood. So it was tedious. It was a learning process. It was trial and error and fail and get back up, try again. So many times I wanted to just quit and get out of it. It was frustrating, but then it evolved into me taking on finishing. And obviously I was doing all the prep work leading up to those steps at the end, I was doing the sanding and stripping and all the the other things that make up the process. But um, yeah, I just, I just saw it as this ongoing, like, ever-changing puzzle every project mm. you work on is absolutely different than the last there's elements that might be the same but it's each one you could have a set of six chairs and they're exactly the same and look but they're each one will require something different so i just really enjoyed that and even though it can be frustrating like a puzzle or a game can be frustrating it still is really rewarding when you sort of walk it out and and uh stand back and see the final project so
0: that's incredible. Yeah. And so you took that creativity and you created the thing that we now know you for and really the wider flipping and restoration world knows you for which is Stripwell and then you know your main big flagship product being Stripwell QCS, Quick Clean and Safe. Can you tell us how that came about? We'll talk about the product itself and kind of what you've built, but I'd love to just hear that transition from owning your dad's business, having been doing it for so many years and then now you're starting a, you know, vintage stripping Product? How does that? How does that come about? It comes about during COVID. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> true. When we're
1: all questioning life choices and everything. Uh, no, I, it was one of these things where I think what gave me perspective was my dad has aged. You know, he's gotten older, and I've noticed that some of what he put himself through in the restoration um, time that he was doing that. I'm I'm certain that some of those chemicals and some of those things have really impacted him, um, just mm. with his mind, his memory, things like that. Um, he has nothing major, but there's definitely some things that, um, you know, he just, he's not as sharp. He's, and I think he knows it. And I think he's aware that it probably came from, he also restored cars. Um, he liked to do that as a hobby. So, I think the all those different elements, all those those different toxic products that unfortunately you're you're exposed to, if you're not ultra careful, I mean, really, really careful, they can do some major, major harm to your body. And I think that I started to question, you know, seeing my kids and thinking I want to be around to see Mm. grandkids, I want to be around for them, I want to be 100% and knowing that um, I already felt the effects. I mean, I've done it for 23 years, and I already feel some of the the effects that uh, even if you're being cautious, you're still just just really around these things that are not good for your body, uh, I just realized there's gotta be, there's gotta be some ways to kind of work around these products. And unfortunately in the stripper, you know, the stripper chemical stripping agent world there, there wasn't much to, to kind of get me where I wanted to go. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's where I was, I started just reaching out to, um, different chemical companies, just anywhere I could find them that seemed like they were really specialized in green alternatives and um i partnered with one and said listen let's develop this product i want to use it in-house originally it was supposed to just be for myself my team anyone who worked for me but then it just it just became so apparent that like it was so safe and so effective Uh, on the kind of finishes i was working with the antique and vintage finishes i was like you know i I just know that other people could use especially those who are working in their homes and they don't have all the safety things i have in a commercial shop they're just working in a a garage or they're working in a small room, maybe sometimes in their their home, you know, having those toxins bleeding through the air and getting, I mean, it's just not something you want or the flammable, you know, factor. You don't want that in your house. You don't want that in your shop. You want to try to decrease as much of that as possible. So that's Mm -hmm. where it began. We developed it. I tested it over and over. We went through a lot of trial and error. And then I landed on one that I said was, was really acceptable for what I needed it to be. And we, we ran with that. Um, we're not settled there. We're still going to continue trying to improve it. But right now, it, it really is effective on so many of what uh, finishes that I, I needed it to be at that point.
0: That's incredible. And so as you talk about, um, you talk about two things, you talk about toxins and you talk about flammability, right? Those are kind of the two passion points that it seems as I research you, you have quite often. Could you speak to both of those? Like what, what toxins are we worried about? You know, because for a lot of us, you know, we just, we go to home Depot, we grab the furniture stripper, you know, they say definitely wear gloves, wear a mask, all of those things. I don't really think too much of it. I just use it. What makes you, you know, what toxins are we trying to avoid here? And then I wanna hear kind of the flammability side of it too, like uh, what should we be worried about there and, mm-hmm. and, and how does QCS really help with that? So yeah, could you speak to that side of things? Well, you know, the one that made, has made
1: the most uh, noise in the, in, in the world has been methylene chloride. That's what most effective strippers are, you know, are made out of. Methylene chloride is, is super effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that's your, if that's your value point is effectiveness, you're not going to find much better than that. I mean, that's going to pretty much take off almost any possible finish or paint you can come up against. Um, the only problem is that it, it's really bad for you. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, after some deaths occurred, uh, people specifically, what I read about was in the, um, the market of like bathtub refinishing, um, people would be stripping a bathtub uh, with methylene chloride strippers. And being that um, the odor of methylene chloride is heavier than air. It sinks downward. It goes to the floor. So they would have their head in the bathtub. The odor would not go up. It would stay right there. Mm. And unfortunately, the, the, the myth is, okay, I'll wear a respirator. That'll protect me, but it doesn't because most of the time you wear, people will just throw on a paint respirator, which is meant for like dry vapor. And methylene chloride vapor is more moist. So it would soak and saturate the filters, pretty much giving an ultra concentrate. Um, so that it actually would, would be worse. Um, you know, so they would, they would literally, people would be found just, and this is horrible, but just found dead, uh, Mm -hmm. on site because they would pass out. What methylene chloride does is it, um, it gets into your blood and it can, it converts it to, uh, like it converts to carbon monoxide in your blood. Um, and so just like you would get carbon monoxide poisoning in your home, if it's in the air that's what that does. It, it just really, it wreaks havoc on your body. So that's the obvious one. And, um, you know, the powers be that they, they, they were like, you know, let's get this off the market for the average user. It's still available commercially, but you know, it's not on shelves anymore. It's been pretty much outlawed, but now what has happened is that chemical companies have had to, um, find a way around it. So instead of it being that they put something else in there, they say non, you know, no methylene chloride, and that's their That's what they want you to focus on and be excited. Okay, good. This is healthy, but it's not. They've just replaced it with other things that aren't regulated as heavily. Mm. And eventually those things will probably be outlawed too, because they're still not good for you. A common one is um, NMP. It has a long name. You can look it up But NMP. um, That's just the kind of the initials of it. Um, That is one that's found in a lot of even the safer kind of products. It's it's a, a key ingredient. And it, again, makes it effective. But it causes. It's been known to cause, you know, birth, you know, defects, problems, mm. pregnancy issues. And so, you know, again, with with stripwell, a lot of the customer base is, uh, it's a lot of women, um, and it's a lot of people who have families, men and women. And you know, you have you have this chemical that, you know, as you're raising young families, maybe you're pregnant and you're still trying to do your what you love, and that's flip furniture. You know, exposing yourself to those things, uh, you don't know that it could really it could really impact um, someone else's life that, you know, uh, isn't even born yet. So it's, uh, it's scary. There's a lot of different things. Then you get into flammability where they replace the toxic chemicals with flammable ones, like alcohols and different things. And so then it becomes very flammable. And so you may not be as, um, it may not be as toxic to you, your body, but it, it, you know, just being around your home could create a fire and that's a whole other danger, you know, that you have to be aware of. So that's kind
0: of the long and short of it, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can see the need for it in the market now. I can see that you have this passion for it. So you then start creating QCS. You start actually building this and fulfilling this. How do you go from, you know, because I think probably everybody listening to this podcast has at some point had a business idea. They've maybe even started to implement that. How did you go from, you know, zero followers and, you know, really no presence to <clears throat> we're now in the furniture and restoration business. If you strip vintage furniture, uh, strip well, and QCS is a name that you just kind of know, how did you go from there? Because you only started this, uh, less than a year ago. So how did you yeah. go to being a, a, what I would maybe consider one of the main players in the stage? Uh, how did, how did that happen?
1: You know, it's one of these things that, um, I think the timing of it is right. Um, green products right now, I think are really something that's on, not just on trend. I don't want to just say it's a trend. I really think it's, it's more of a way of life that people are choosing that they're just realizing that, you know, they would rather pay more. You look at with organic foods. I mean, you go back 20 years, people weren't going to spend, you know, sometimes what twice as much on a, on a, on something that's, exactly the same, you know, visually, but, but knowing that it's, it's uh, clean, you know, knowing that it doesn't mm. have, but, but today it matters to people today, the vegetables and things that they're buying, it all matters. And they're really trying to clothing, anything that off gases, anything that, you know, furniture, things like that in their home, they're really looking into that mattresses. And um, so I think that timing is one thing. I think that, that the market just was, was sort of unknowingly wanting something to do this. Um, like they kind of, they weren't thinking about it, but when they were presented with it, they said, "Oh, this is something we want," uh, and that—that that was the response that that we received. Um, yeah, we started developing it, you know, um, maybe almost, maybe almost two years ago is probably when we started to kind of go down the road. But publicly, I mean, uh, our website for to sell it's only been up for um, uh, currently only about eight months, nine months, and um, but but it was like a rocket ship because people just, I think we were fortunate that we had such a loyal customer base. And I can't say enough about like our customers is that like, they just, they really championed it. Uh, They really helped get the word out. Um, And that is really, that was really what made it. I mean, uh, you can do all the clever marketing you want, all the creative, but in the end, I mean, if people aren't spreading it on that grassroots level you know it only can go so far and mm-hmm. uh and fortunately as a as a young brand you don't have a huge budget to throw out and just kind of throw at advertising so having people share with their followers who share with their followers and it just snowballs i mean we saw just a, a just a rocket ship launch uh where people were were buying it using it and finding that it's different you know with green products green anything sometimes it's different you're not you're not getting the um the, the effectiveness of methylene chloride, but you're getting the safety factor. And it depends on where your values lie, uh, the cost. And people will say, well, it's more money than what they would get at the big box store. But the, but again, you know, people are used to paying those kind of uh, prices for, um, you know, things that matter to them and they value for the health reasons. So I think it's, it's really where your value system is. And when you, you, you learn the learning curve and you realize that, Hey, what's your health worth? Uh, you just end up, you know, you, you go with it and you, uh, you realize it matters. So it's worth the cost. Um,
0: so yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, and staying healthier for longer. I mean, how many, how many of us would pay more to do that? But I think that is the, as you think about QCS and you think about greener things in general, more organic things in general, um, that is the elephant in the room that I think everybody's addressing. It's not just out there, but that it does cost a little bit more, but mm-hmm. you keep on going back to this price versus cost. I've heard you say that a few times. Could you just give me a little bit of a deeper insight into kind of how you view that? Because I think that's a really interesting uh, topic.
1: Well, you know, I, I, growing up, you know, as I was learning business, um, you know, I was someone who just loved reading books on business and a character that I loved, an author I loved, the speaker I loved was um, Zig Ziglar. And he put it once that, um he had a child that wanted a bike and so he went out and he priced out the bikes and there was one brand that was three times as much as the other brand so you know he said well let's buy the cheap bike it's you know why spend so much you know and he bought it and he realized that he had to repair it multiple times he had to then you know keep putting money into it and ultimately he he just he replaced it with the expensive bike (laughs) because you have this price versus cost situation where it's almost like you're gonna spend everything costs something. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess it comes down to like, are you going to just get it up front and get the right thing? Or are you going to down the road? Like, for example, if you get sick because of a chemical, there's medical bills, there's, there's lost time, you know, doing work. There's, there's all these elements that come into play that you don't see in the price tag, but when you factor them in, you know, for example, as a professional shop, uh, QCS, was not epa or osha regulated so like as far as standards go you know normally with methylene chloride there's a lot of regulations and standards you have to meet with disposal of the product um and with safety for your, your workers and people that all costs money and if you don't keep up with those then there's fines that could come into play there's all those elements you, you're you not factoring into the price tag so price tag versus long-term cost it's a huge difference and i think that's where i said when, when starting this, I was like, let's develop something that has such value that, um, you know, you're really,
0: uh, investing in that, that long-term, uh, vision versus that short-term price tag. Love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yeah. then for the home flipper on the other side, it sounds like that the health is probably more the cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, I mean, these, these chemicals
1: can get you, can make you very sick and can, can really, um, can do some serious damage yeah uh, whether it's the, you know to you or whether it's to um I mean to, to someone around you like you know your child walks in the road it's funny we see all these videos people post and sometimes you see that there's like the little there's like a little girl or a little boy working alongside of them I would ne- I would just never want my child to be around one of these other chemicals like these these toxic like you keep them as far away as possible and so to see them there and, and interacting and and you know there's not that fear to me, the value of that, I mean, that outweighs the dollar amount, you know, and so I think it's just comes down to it. Again, some people go to the grocery store, they go right to the organic section, they spend two to three times as, more, you know, as much as other people, but they value their family's long term health versus someone who's like, all right, what's the cheapest, quickest, fastest thing I could buy, you know, and they settle for that. And that, and I understand there's different elements involved in that equation, but But for me, I just wanted to really stand strong on the idea of of high long term value, not short term
0: price tag. Love that. And so more. For personal projects for you as you tend to transition to what StripWell QCS works for. You still are doing lots of restoration yourself. I checked out the Instagram page at StripWell that you guys have. You guys have TikTok as well and all that stuff. Um, But it seems like there's lots of great projects that StripWell actually works on. It's really cool to see it work in action. I noticed one that was a rocking chair that you picked up from Goodwill. Could you tell us a little bit about that rocking chair and kind of how StripWell helped move it through the process? Because, you know, when I think about rocking chairs, I think about nooks and crannies and grooves that you know when i'm using different products it's really hard to scrape those things off and actually you know get into those nooks and crannies but it seemed like Stripwell did a great job with that that was really fascinating to me could you kind of give a little bit more context around that as you talk about a more personal project
1: yeah. well for me it's um i i feel like you know, I watch on, on social media and on, on the internet, people are, are doing their projects and, and oftentimes it's like flat tops on credenzas or, you know, sides of dressers and just really, really straight flat surfaces. And that, that you would, you would say, well, what's the point of buying a, you know, a chemical or stripper for that? I could just sand that off or scrape it off. But where it really gets challenging is when you're dealing with the details, uh, when you're dealing with the the nooks and crannies like you were talking about. And, and it's really hard because even if you go to a, a, a stripping agent, a lot of times there are these really thick gels and they get just, it almost makes it harder. A lot of people write to us and they say that they were using other products and it made it more challenging because it, it just made it messier. Like they couldn't see what they were doing. It couldn't work with it. So we went with like a liquid form and yeah, I, I do still refinish furniture. It's, it's just something that, you know, when, when it's a passion, it's a passion, like it's still the root of kind of my passion in all of this. Um, It was hard actually to transition away from the old business that I loved um, to sort of transition into this new role that I play here. Um, But now what's cool is I get to share what I've learned over the years. And this is one of those those trades or those art forms like any where like you never um, you're never like fully there. You're always learning, you know, if you're a musician, you're always learning and honing in your skills and learning how to make music differently and better and just express yourself in a new way. Restoration is no different. I mean, you're always trying to figure out your your vision for something. You're figuring out techniques to get there. You're figuring out how to differentiate yourself from others, but also you know, uphold standards that, you know, people will expect and what they would consider quality. So you're always kind of learning. And I I spent a lot of years learning because that's how I am when I'm in something. I just learn and learn. I love to just dig and dig and dig and just get better and better. Um, But that doesn't mean that I'm like there. So I share what I have, but I also love hearing other people's side of it because sometimes you'll just by opening your ears and being humble you hear people share something. And sometimes even if they have one year into restoration and you've got, you know, I have 23 doesn't mean I know, like I know everything I can listen to that one year person. And I might learn something from them. um, Just like they would learn from me too. It's really this community aspect that I love about it. And when we kind of be humble and kind of hear each other out with open ears, you can learn a lot. And so I think for me, it's just turned into this more sharing the knowledge. And that's kind of my angle now with, uh, with it, I do restoration to um, kind of present it in a way that helps to teach and helps to kind of expose not just QCS but also techniques and tricks and little, as they say, hacks and ways to kind of do things. Um, because I, you know, it helps everybody. Um, so I think it's one of the, that's that's where I'm at now. So I'm doing these pieces sort of as a often as a way to use it for material for our marketing, but also as teachable material and. And ways to um, just showcase not just the product, but ways to, to restore
0: and flip better. I love so, that. Do you have a favorite piece that you've done with QCS in the past year that, you know, I noticed that you did uh, an antique box, that you did rocking chairs, you've done uh, George Nelson cabinets. Is there a piece that you went, wow, this is really something that I'm proud of as you went through it? I would
1: say that uh, for me, it's. Um, they're, they're, all, they're all really special for different reasons. I mean, over the years in restoration, I feel like I um, have had some really exciting projects. They weren't necessarily QCS projects, but I've had projects that I've, I've really loved working on um, that I just walk away going like, wow, this is special. You know, I've, I've done something special here. Um, but with QCS, I mean, it's really it's, it's become more the excitement about showcasing how this product, how our product can work for people on so many different applications. And, you know, we always say it's not a silver bullet. We're not, we're not trying to uh, to try to convince you that somehow it's just sprayed on anything and it's gonna work on everything. There's really not a product in a, in a restoration shop that's the product. I mean, if you look in my finishing cabinet, there are so many different finishes. There's so many different colors of stains. If you look in my repair area, there's all different kinds of clamps, all different kinds of glues. There's, you, there's not a silver bullet in almost any category of of the restoration process it's really figuring out what the item needs and then finding the right fit and so qcs deserves a space on the shelf in the cabinet for the cases that it works but there will be those times where it doesn't so i i enjoy just showcasing all these like this wide variety of places it does work and even sometimes to showcase when it doesn't work well because that's the truth of it is that sometimes you'll use it uh, and you'll be like "Hmm, that's not quite what i was hoping for Right. And that's just the way that almost any product is. And as you put a stain on wood and you'll go, Oh, I thought that was going to do something different. And Mm. that's not what I wanted. Um, you just get disappointed, but the restoration, you get up, you figure it out, you pivot, you do what you got to do. And then you, you know, you make
0: it work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as you, as you talked about there at the end, you said something along the lines of, you know, things don't work out the way that you want. One of the questions we love asking our guests is what was your biggest fail when flipping? Was there a piece that you just messed up on? You, you know, an ax fell on it. Something happened where you went, Oh no, what is your biggest uh, fail when flipping?
1: Hmm. I have a few, uh, I was going to share one I I, I thought of, and then I I just actually at this very moment thought of another that I felt that I feel actually fits better with our conversation. There was one time that uh, a customer brought me a a hope chest by Lane. Um, They're very common, um, very common pieces that many families had and they still make them today. Um, But Lane made hope chests since I don't, I don't know when they began, but early, you know, 1920s, maybe and upward. I'm not exactly sure when it started, but, um, they used to make them out of solid cedar, so it's nice, thick, you know, cedar uh, cedar box. And then they would uh, decorate the outside differently with carvings and whatever wood veneers they wanted to do. But then at some point, Lane um, they had a, a factory fire; the place burned down. They moved their production overseas, and they started making these boxes, these these uh, cedar chests out of um, these hope chests out of particle board, and they would line the inside with a cedar veneer and the outside with the, whatever the decorative veneer. But you couldn't tell because they did it well so visibly. You couldn't tell that it was done this way. There was no real, no real sign of it. So I threw it, this hope chest in, which I, the customer brought it, saying, "This is the most cherished possession that she has. It's her grandmother's, and it means the world." I mean, she's the whole thing, and I'm just like, "All right, I'm, I'll, I'll take care of you." Put it in the strip, t- uh, the strip tray that we have where we strip with at that point, methylene chloride we were using. And I soaked the whole piece because it's a liquid methylene chloride and the box just, just it just fell apart. Oh, like it just every, because <laughs> oh. I mean, every, everywhere where the methylene chloride could get into the particle board, it swelled. It, it just, it, I, my heart just sank no. because I'm like, what am I going to tell this person? I mean, literally she's like, this is the only thing I own that was my grandmother's. No. It means, I mean, I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> and I'm just like. You know, so I am just, I feel so awful because I mean, I had no idea there was at the, this was way, this was many years ago. So at the time I did, I hadn't figured out that there was a construction difference, you know? Um, and so I had to rebuild that, that whole, I mean, we, we saved it. Um, it was not purely original anymore (laughs) but it it, at least it it preserved the essence that she wanted but she understood she was like how would you have known i'm like i know but you know you still feel awful oh my goodness you know it couldn't happen on that that piece that someone just like i don't even care i just want something in the corner you know (laughs) it has to be the you know this is the holy grail of my family you know and it's like that's the one that you you ruin
0: Uh, so this piece
1: yeah so i mean there's just in restoration even when you're super careful even when you're you think you've got, you know, enough knowledge to do everything and not have a mistake. Mistakes happen. I mean, that's one of the things I always say. People say, well, so what's the word of advice you would give? And that's one of the things I always say is just you got to not be afraid of making mistakes. Mm. I mean, it's going to happen. You do the best you can not to, um, and you be thoughtful and careful. And my dad said that, you know, the way that he built the business when he was doing it was he treated every piece like it was his own piece, Like like that memory was his memory, you know and he just really tried to give everything that care but even when you do you just you just there's complications it's like surgery you you do your best and then there's sometimes there's just a complication
0: you can't foresee you know, absolutely. So oh, well, I'm glad the lady forgave you and stuff, but man, that that would, did. I cannot imagine the sinking feeling in my stomach. <laughs> I saw mm-hmm. it just fall apart. That's there. But now you mentioned there in that story that it's such a, an interesting passion point of so many people in this world is kind of the restoration almost versus flipping and you know our podcast mm-hmm. is called the flip restoration podcast we we almost have this passion of coming together and saying that yes we want to be flipping furniture but we also want to restore it but there seems to be two sides of that coin the purist side and then the just kind of flipping for cash side which one do you tend to yeah. fall on it sounds you know you you talk a lot about the history of pieces and what it means to people where do you tend to fall on that on those sides of the coin I think it comes. So it's funny because if you're
1: on, if you're on social media, I mean, there, there is a a war between these two camps. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty bad. I think the flipper, you know, community doesn't really care too much. You know, they're not, they don't, they're just doing their thing, but the, but the purists get really upset and, uh, get really frustrated and they let their, their emotions, um, be known (laughs) in comment sections and such. Um, and I, I love when flippers will make a reel or something and, and they'll post those comments, you know, and they're just sort of like, you know, bring it on. Um, I'm doing this my way and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so I, I appreciate that too. But um, I'm definitely kind of the purist, generally speaking. So I love good design. Um, and so when I see a piece that was designed well by a, by a you know, a reputable designer, someone really known, um, I appreciate what they do decided. It was like they gave birth to that piece and they wanted it a certain way and I try to honor that. Um, For example, I I restored a a, a dining set by George Nakashima. It's a name that some people will know, some won't, but you can Google it. George Nakashima furniture is very valuable. Most people would actually say "Don't don't even touch it because it's that kind of valuable. Um, but the person who owned it, it was in the family, they, they, it was just sun faded and really just looked not, it just didn't look great. It was way past, it's, it's. they wanted to make it nice. They wanted to bring it back to what it was when they remembered it as a kid because their parents bought it straight from George Nakashima. And, and, uh, and so they grew up around it. Uh, there was even a nick in the table and he said, don't fill the nick. And I said, okay. And he's like, my dad one time got so angry at me. He just stuck the fork in the top of the table and he says, "So I want to remember that. I want to, don't fill it. Don't touch, you know, I was like, all right, I, I, I get that. So it was like this little memory point for him. Um, so it's, you know, that's the kind of thing where like you, you would, in my mind, you would never even think of painting it or doing something. It was designed a certain way. It was designed beautifully. You just honor it. You do everything you can to honor, you know, the original design. But that's not all furniture. Mm. There's a lot of furniture that is is really just mass produced. Some of it is is just really sort of hideous. I mean it's not even well, it's just and so that's the kind of thing it's like to me is a blank canvas. You say, listen, I need a, a piece that has drawers, this this piece has drawers, now let me make it look like I need it to for the space paint it, do whatever you want, sand it, restain it a different color, chop the legs off, put new legs on, new heart, whatever you want to do. That that to me is like, you know, go for it. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's somewhere where there's a line and, and it's a sliding scale. Some people's line, it's, you know, it's like for me, it's, it's the extreme. It's like, don't touch those really desirable pieces, like leave that, honor those pieces. Some people, they're trying to honor just anything, like, for example, mid-century. They'll just say, anything from that era, don't paint it, don't do anything, keep it. And I think that, you know, that's not totally accurate. I think that there's sometimes it's a mass-produced piece from the era. It doesn't, yes, you might like it better as in the pure form, but sometimes I see what what a flipper will do. They'll paint it a great color. They'll, they'll, they'll reimagine it. They see something that... Others don't see, they, they do something. And I, I go, you know what? I actually kind of like it better that way, you know? Um, and it doesn't mean that I don't respect what it was. It doesn't mean, but there's just times where, you know, it's going to be in someone's space in their home. So you don't want to live with something you don't like. Um, so make it, you know, kind of have the vision and make it something. So I think there's room for both of these camps to converse and get to know each other. Right. And that's why I like the podcast concept because it's this combination of, of flipping and restoration. It's this coming together and saying, listen, we don't have to argue all the time. Um, we can talk and we can share and we can grow together. And, and I think it's kind of this cross-pollinating where maybe uh, flippers can kind of loosen up the purists mm-hmm. a little and the purists can maybe give the flippers some better insights on maybe the kind of things they shouldn't mess with too much you know keep it keep it original
0: absolutely and for those of uh, our listeners that are driving in the car and can't look it up the George Nakashima that Gary was talking about uh, on their website I'm seeing twenty thousand dollars for a dresser sixty two thousand for a For a table. So obviously very valuable. And then there's those things that showcase that I personally should never touch them, which is the request price button uh, on the website as well. (laughs) Uh, But it seems like what's interesting, I was going to ask, but you sort of answered it, which is how does strip well QCS fall into this, you know, flipping versus restoration thing? But for you, as you're viewing a lot of these pieces that, you know, the influencers that use QCS uh, do and, you know, the DIYers out there, they're almost honoring the, the heart of the piece by restoring it in a way that works for them, right? It gives this piece new Mm -hmm. life. It allows it to be good for their family, um, for their business needs, but at the same time, keeps the integrity of these incredible pieces. Would that be accurate Mm -hmm. to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that people, you know, I see a lot of the the flippers though. You know, they're looking to find something that's very inexpensive to start with. So their baseline is really small so they can get maximum profit when they do the work on it. I think that sometimes you find something at a thrift store or on the, even on the side of the road and, um, specifically on the side of the road, we'll go with that one. You find something that someone is literally throwing out. It's, it's there to be trashed. Right. So to save it, I mean, to, I mean, what's the alternative? It's going to be a, a pile of scrap in a couple of days. So you're, you know, the recycling and the green element to this conversation is that you're you're saving something. Mm. You're taking a piece that's probably in a lot of ways, not always, but but more than likely better than what you would get today as far as quality goes for the average person. I mean, there's real high-end brands today that the quality is still off the charts, but but for the everyday person going to the everyday big box store, the older furniture, even the not so good older furniture is probably better than the new furniture. So they're saving that piece. They're giving it a new, a new life and they're keeping it functional. Mm. So to me, I mean, I say, do whatever you want. I mean, I, that's, that's one of those things where it's about to get completely, um, destroyed. And, uh, and ultimately by destroying old things, we have to produce new things, which means we're, you know, you get into the green conversation, we're cutting lumber down, we're manufacturing, we're going through all of this effect on the environment. When you have this older piece, that's already built, it's already been, you know, um, harvested the lumber, everything's already there. And all you're doing is giving it a new, um, a new life. And to me, that's one of the huge, like for me, restoration, I love that. I love the recycling aspect of it. And also the, the memory preserving aspect, you know, I, I inherited some stuff from my grandparents and I hated the style. It was like, a, it was that, um, 1960s, seventies colonial maple, they call it. It was the, just very I, there's just no real saving it. I just right. didn't like it. And there's nothing. But like, so most of the pieces, I just let them go. Unfortunately, I just, there was no place for them in my life and in our home. There's this one piece though. It was their liquor cabinet. They had this rolling, they used to host bridge nights at their home and they would have like people over for, you know, as those back in the day, you drink martinis and Manhattans and all that. And uh, and so this liquor cabinet represented this, this story for me. It was these nights where people would come and gather, they would open up this little rolling liquor cabinet. And there was all the glasses on the door and people would serve themselves, you know, a drink. And, and to me, I could just like transport back to that time and just imagine my grandparents younger and having fun and doing all that. So like, that's the kind of piece, like you can't, how do you get rid of that? It was also their 25th anniversary wedding anniversary gift to each other. Oh my So like they, they bought it for each other, like, because it was expensive. It was a quality piece, but it did not fit my style. I, I can't stand the style of it, but I can't let it go. So that's where sometimes you've got to look into doing something to modify it, to change it, because it's the only way you can get it into your home and want it there, you know, other, because yeah, there's stories there, but like uh, looking at something you you can't stand, you kind of, the story sometimes doesn't quite make up for it. So you've got to, you've got to make it work. Uh, And I've had a lot of clients over the years come in and they'd have this beautiful antique and they would want me to paint it. They would say, can you paint it? And I would say, oh, this is beautiful mahogany or beautiful this or that, whatever wood but ultimately they said, well, if we don't do a solid color, it can't fit in my home. It just doesn't work. Right. So like I, I I need, and they would pay me to do it and I would do it because they're, they're the ones that get to make that choice. So it, it really just, there's so many parts to the conversation of how to handle a piece that I think it's, it's hard to just look at someone painting something and going like you fool, you know, (laughs) and, and judging them from the other side of a computer monitor or cell phone, you know, it's like, you kind of have to You kind of have to understand that there might be a reason for it that we don't you know we don't understand one big thing too is and this is where as kind of getting to your question is where does it fit in the flipping world and you know all this uh qcs is that a lot of times i think the reason people paint furniture is painting is kind of a trend that sort of swings in and out of style it's always there but like it was heavy during the great depression era because people wanted to freshen up their home but they didn't have any money so they would just can of paint paint everything white or something and they would change the look of their house cheap you know and that's one reason somewhere in the 50s and 60s there were painting came back around there's been these cycles where it sort of comes around and people do it again but i think one reason why flippers especially the kind of the diy type flipper does that yes it's style and yes it's trend but i also think it's the fact that they haven't had a real good way to strip the whole piece you know you have a piece that's got a flat top well you could sand that make that raw wood but then you get into all the carvings and details and it's like no never mind it's easier to prime it and put a color on it um, because if you're looking at to sell it you're looking for the least amount of investment to make the most profit so painting is just a much faster way to completion but now with, with the QCS option you can You could potentially restore something fully from top to bottom so
0: right and get that rodwood underneath i love that and i love the story of inheriting your grandma's thing i'm sure your wife loved that uh my Mm -hmm. (laughs) my personal was i when i was first married uh my parents lovingly i was in chicago they were in texas they decided to drive to pennsylvania with a trailer pick up a hutch a dining room set all of that stuff and drive it all the way to our apartment in Chicago and you know call us surprise we have these antique set it's great beautiful furniture they sat it in there and it's this deep redwood and we're 19 (laughs) uh, we were like 20 and 21 years old at that point my wife and I got married young and we were just like we love you guys but what are we going to do with this and we I wish that we would have been in the restoration business at that point because then we probably would have had a great piece but it's just funny how that stuff works and that's where QCS fits in. Where where, yeah. where do you think, Gary, you go next? You know, as you talk about your flipping career, as you talk about QCS StripWell, what's on the horizon for you guys?
1: Well, you know, the big thing is, um, you know, StripWell, we're, we're sponsoring this podcast where, you know, we want to make this happen because for me, the conversation, the community aspect of it is so important. So um, I think that that's a big thing for us. And in my heart is to is to sort of be uh, a point person that people can look to, uh, a brand that people can look to and trust. It's not just you know some corporate brand with multiple sub brands with sub brands of those you know like where you're who who even who do you even talk to you know like I love the fact that people message through Instagram and email and I can kind of see most of those you know I, I I'm brought into the conversation if need be and a lot of times I hop in just because I want to I like to have people ask a question that's outside of just how does your product work? But, but into like, Hey, I'm working on this and I'm struggling here. And I could be like, Oh, you know what? Try this. I can recommend another product. That's not our own. You know, I, I enjoy that, that relationship. And I think that this, the podcast here with Flipstoration is, is sort of just this place where people can come in and, um, and just be heard and become kind of the star for 45 minutes. Um, let their story shine, you know? And uh, I think that's just, it's awesome because a lot of times, you know, we hear the big stories of big people who've earned somehow this platform, but there's a lot of great stories from people who just are, are grinding it out every day and nobody knows why they're doing it or, mm. you know, uh, so the, the storytelling is huge, but for the, for the, the brand are still, you know, with strip with what we're doing, we're hoping to release some new products. We have new products sort of in the pipeline, um, Uh, so we want to help kind of improve our offering. Um, it's always, there's, I'm a big fan of lean, the concept of lean, um, elimination of waste and in constant improvement. And the word, uh, Kaizen is, is the word that means in Japanese, it's, uh, to continually improve constant improvement, something along those lines. And so for, for me, that's just the way I live. I I don't say, here's a thing. That's it. Never going to look at it again. It's here's a thing. And while you're using it and liking it and loving it, and I'm going to keep, Trying to make it better, mm. you know. So behind the scenes, the, my team and I we're, were working to kind of make it better and better because we would love if someday we have that that silver bullet, you know, stripper, you know, stripping agent that that really does do almost everything, if not everything. Right now, it's it's effective on a lot of things. So we want to improve that, offer complementary products that support it, um, not just put out fluff. You know, I hate when I see brands just trying to kind of milk the cash cow and just, you know, I really want things we do to be thoughtful and, and important uh, and valuable. And if it's not, then maybe don't bother doing it. You know, it can be done some, someone else can do it if they want to, but I, I really want to have high value items for, for customers. And then really our big thing is moving into content creation where it's not content creation just to, you know, just to get more exposure. It's really content creation to help the community grow. So um, that's going to really evolve and, and turn into something where we can just you know, teach, share, um, you know, answer questions, whatever it looks like. So videos and all that, we're going to really try to increase that over time as well. Um, and, and that's really a big thing. And then the charitable piece of it, we're really working to try to launch some, some charity aspect of our brand, because it means so much to me. I think that that's just a big part of who I am is this idea of giving back. And, uh, so my team and I, we, we talk about that and we want, we really want to launch something, um, in the future too, where, you know, we're not just, uh, funds for our own, our own selves, but we're giving it back in some form that's meaningful and, and, uh, can improve life for other people in other ways. We're trying to improve life for flippers by giving them non-toxic products, but then there's people who, you know, have all sorts of other problems that need help with. And we would love to
0: use some of our resources to to help in other ways so. I love that. I love yeah. that, man. Well, thank you. Well, Gary, that's it's been awesome to have you on board and and of course this is a podcast that's sponsored by Stripwell. Uh, this podcast is run by members of the team of Stripwell, but we just want to give a voice to people. Um Gary, great to have you in this, but it's also cool to have those voices of people like DIYers and these people that just, you know, are starting a business on Instagram, almost in in this, in this flipping world as well. And then those that have given their passion and their energy towards restoring and and preserving the integrity of incredible pieces out there. And so we're really excited for the future as well. Uh, But Gary, as we leave, we asked the final question that we're going to ask every single guest on this podcast, which is if you could share just one nugget of wisdom for the flipper, the restorer Mm -hmm. out there, the DIYer, um, what would it be? I would say simple. It's stay humble. Um,
1: I have learned so much by closing my mouth and opening my ears, you know, and I think that, um, that's not just flipping that's in life. Um, but it's the idea that the second that you think, or I think that I'm the top person that I'm the one that needs to be heard is usually when you're on your downward motion, um, in life, you know, Mm -hmm. learning is something that we should never get tired of doing And it's not just learning from "quote unquote" you know experts, uh, people who happen to author a book or something like that. But it's really um, listening to just the just anyone around you, because it's not all going to be good. It's not all worth you know taking to heart. But but in that you'll find I've read books where the whole book is trash, but there's one thing, and I'm like that's something I can take with me. And I think it's just like you're building a toolbox for your workshop. You, You. you, know, you have to just pick up tools along the way you know if you can't uh that, that's with by listening you know i've i've talked to older refinishers and if i was cocky and arrogant and saying oh i'm the young guy i'm the one that's you know i i would be proud and i wouldn't hear what they say but i have learned so much by just by just listening and and allowing them to just speak and and be heard and so i think it's important even with like this podcast when you're listening anyone who's listening is just listen with an open mind hear people's stories and and be humble and just, it just let it, let it kind of percolate, let it, let it simmer there and You'll never know what you'll you'll learn when you when you stay
0: humble. I love that. That's a great word, Gary. Well, man, thank you so much for being here as our guest today. Uh, Gary will be joining Absolutely. us on future podcasts as more the expert in the field. Obviously, he knows a lot of what he's doing. So as we have more guests come on, uh, we're excited for that. But as we leave, want to say a massive thank you, of course, to the sponsor of this podcast, which is StripWell. Uh, if you've got a vintage or antique flipping project, just use StripWell QCS to remove that finish. It's VOC-free, non-flammable. You just head to StripWell.com to purchase yours today. Uh, as we go, please feel free to leave us a review and let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, Flipstration Nation, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Keep on flipping.